When you love someone or something, you want them to be seen in a true light. If they are portrayed unfairly or unjustly, then it's understandable that it hurts and it troubles you. One of the accusations often thrown at me as a Christian has been, but Trev, Christianity has nothing to do with real life, nothing to do with my life, has nothing really to do with the world that I live in. Trev, we're living in 2023. How can a message that's 2,000 years old possibly have anything to say to the modern man and the modern woman? Maybe there's people here today right now who think just like that. Maybe there's even Christians here today who secretly feel that way. The other day I was having breakfast with a friend who's a doctor in economics. He teaches at a leading university and he's, he's, he's an influential author. He doesn't go regularly to church, but he has started coming at Christmas and Easter. I always get, when, when I meet with him for breakfast, I always get his take on the economy. And he never ever disappoints when he gives his insightful comments. Often, they reflect a Christian worldview of mankind, especially when he speaks about selfishness and greed. Now, usually, which will surprise those of you who know me, usually I'm silent and I just listen. But the other day, as I was listening to him, I thought, you know, that really does coincide with a Christian worldview. When he talked about greed, and I said to him, you know, if you open up Luke's gospel, what you see is the Lord Jesus constantly calling out greed, love of money, love of material things. And then I had a Bible in my bag, and I said, look, next week, we're going to be looking at the book of James, and we're going to be looking at this chapter. Would you like to read it? So he said, yeah, give it here. So he read chapter 5. Verses 1 to 6. So just turn your eyes down and we'll read that. So here we are in a calf just up the road. We're sitting there. I gave him, give him my Bible. And then my friend reads this. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who have mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. The expression on my friend's face was a picture, a mixture of surprise and slight confusion. You see... One thing that James can never be accused of is living in an unreal world. As we've read his, his words these last few weeks, I hope that you've been convinced of that. A world where tongues are used to harm and hurt, 
Just listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are tamed and are being tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. Just ponder. Just think back this week. Words you've heard, words you've read on the radio, TV, and the social media. Or maybe words that have been spoken to you. Or maybe even words that you have said yourself. James relevant in 2023 when it comes to the tongue? What do you think? James has been crystal clear about the reality of injustice. The haves and the have-nots. Those who have money, therefore power, position, and influence. And then the poor, who have no power, no position, no influence, and therefore no voice. James relevant to 2023, what do you think? In fact, one of James's aims is to address these two groups of people in the church, the haves and the have-nots, Christians who have power, position, and influence, and Christians who don't. In fact, the whole book, as we saw a few weeks ago, is summed up. Just turn back to chapter 1, and you'll see that James actually sums up his whole book in verses 26. Chapter 1, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You see, James wants only one thing in your life. He's not bothered about anything else. He only wants you to be mature. Nothing else bothers him at all. We had a youth weekend a few weekends ago, and I said to the young people, work hard at school, work hard at your exams, but don't be fooled into thinking that God thinks they're really that important. All that God wants in a young person's life is for them to be mature. That's all he wants. Now, whichever background you come from, rich or poor, James wants you to be mature. James doesn't hold your background against you at all. He just hungers for you to act like a mature Christian, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. And the three marks of maturity, according to James, are very, very clear. A tongue that's tamed by God's wisdom. A character that rejects any kind of favoritism and embraces the vulnerable. A heart that refuses to be polluted by the world and seeks to live only by God's value system and nothing else. That is maturity. Now, all these themes are mentioned in today's passage, which, we, which should not surprise us. And remember, James is not afraid of the so what question. What relevance to me today, James? He's not afraid of that question. In fact, he welcomes it with open arms. You see, James knows that the Christians who have no power, no position, no influence, 
therefore no voice. After his sizzling sermon in chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, they're going to have a few questions for him, the poor. I'm sure they were hugely grateful for him calling out and exposing those who live as if there's no heaven to be gained or hell to be avoided. Or to use Rico's phrase from last week, people believe tomorrow belongs to me. You see, the people, the kind of godless culture that James was exposing last week, don't believe any misery is coming their way. People in chapter 5, 1 to 6, they don't care about the endless cries of the powerless. They laugh at the thought of the Almighty hearing them. They strut around, flouting their luxury and self-indulgence. They are fattened and happy to keep on eating for no day of reckoning is ever coming their way. Okay, James, the Christian replies, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but how do I keep on believing when the same injustice is served up day after day after day? I have no power to change anything. Your ears might hear everything, and no one else seems to listen. Your eyes may be looking at me, but everybody else's are turned away. Now, I'd be very surprised if there's not people here today who feel like that. You have no power, no influence, And therefore, no voice. And of course, for many Christians around the world who may be listening to this talk, that's your experience. And those questions haunt you every day. At the 9.30 service, I had a dear, dear, dear Nigerian sister who came up and said, Trevor, thank you so much. That's exactly how my country is working at the moment. Every day you struggle with the question, how long, O Lord? I'm just not sure I can keep on going, keep on trusting, keep on being faithful. And your question to James today is, mate, what wisdom have you got for me today? What advice? Now, if that's not your situation, having no voice, please, please, at this moment, don't turn off. Because if you remember right back in James chapter 1, verse 5, James talked about many trials of many kinds. And remember how we defined a trial. A trial is to carry a heavy load for a long time. Your trial may be very different and just as challenging. And it's brought you to the same point. Lord, I'm not sure I can just keep on going. And if that's the case, be assured that the biblical truth that James will outline now will definitely help you continue to carry the heavy load for a long time. So James gives us four illustrations 
aimed at helping us persevere, to keep on going, to keep on being faithful, to keep on carrying the heavy load for a long time. And the first one is, the judge is standing at the door, so live patiently. You see, turn your eyes down to verses 7 to 9. You see, the first illustration concerns the farmer. And the point that James is making is really quite obvious. The farmer works incredibly hard. Rain, sun, wind or snow or sunshine. They're up at the crack of dawn and they go down when the sun goes down. Yet working hard, as Campbell so helpfully opened up the service, working hard is not actually the thing that James wants to focus our minds upon. It's something else. Let me read verses 7 to 9, and I'm sure you'll pick up what his big emphasis is. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James' first bit of advice is this, be patient. The character and life of the farmer is marked by patience. Everything they do is in the light of what will happen in the future. They work now, but always their reward is in the future. They work now, but their vindication, the reward, will come. And James' encouragement and challenge to you and me is, learn from the farmer. Be patient. And the honest response from those who are listening and those who have suffered repeated injustice will probably be, patient for what? Tell me, James, what am I patient for? And James would answer, patient to be vindicated. Patient to be vindicated for trusting in God. Patient to be shown that the God you trusted in really is the Almighty, really will judge. He really will judge those who have hoarded wealth, chapter 5, verse 2. Patient that the Almighty will one day respond to your cries, the cries of the powerless, verses 4 and 5. That one day... He really will judge those who have caused poverty, but live themselves in luxury and self-indulgence. He will judge them. He will. Those who have fattened themselves at the expense of the vulnerable and powerless will be judged, and there will be no escape. For who is he? Verses 5 and 6. He is God Almighty. Just look again how patience is linked to Jesus' return. Look at verse 8. You two, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Just like the farmer patiently waits for his reward, for his vindication, so must we. The return of Jesus, the judge, is the motivation, the foundation for our patience. It's the foundation for how we control our tongue. 
Look at verse 9. When the pressure's on, you're going to want to grumble. But don't. The judge is waiting at the door. When the pressure's on, you'll be, you'll be pressured not to speak the truth. But James is no, saying, no, be people of truth. Keep on speaking the truth. The judge is standing at the door. The risen Jesus, the judge of all, is standing at the door of history. A door that every human being, whoever you are, will one day walk through. Whether you're rich or poor, famous or a nobody, you will walk through it. And the all-powerful judge will be waiting for you. Are you ready for that day? The last day of history, you will walk through the door of eternity and the risen Jesus, the judge of all, will be waiting for you. Are you ready for that day? And and to illustrate how to wait, James uses three Old Testament heroes. When I was growing up, I had posters of football stars all over my bedroom. Trevor Brooking, who I saw outside just the other day, and I asked him to stop, and I had my picture taken with him. Trevor Brooking, Alan Devonshire, Billy Bonds. Billy Bonds, six foot two, eyes of blue, Billy Bonds is after you. (laughs) When I was growing up, I had posters of football stars all over my bedroom. James was a little bit different. He had Old Testament heroes, and he wants to introduce us to three of them. Three of them who learnt to wait for their vindication. And the first one is the first one is the prophets. The judge is standing at the door, so keep speaking. You only have to read the Old Testament prophets, and you'll quickly see that James is ripping off, ripping them off in verses one to six. Like James, they live in a world full of injustice. And like James, the message of a just God burns in his heart. Like James, they live in a world where people's lives were marked by living as if they were, there is no heaven to be gained and no hell to be avoided. Like James, the prophets were ready and prepared to speak truth to power, whatever the cost. And suffer, many of them did, for speaking for the, for, up for the powerless and the vulnerable. They spoke truth to power in the present day, but knew that the final justice would only be served up on the last day. You know, one of our previous ministers, many of you will remember, was a, was a guy called Mark Menel, who was once preaching through Isaiah on our church holiday at Cornerstone. Isaiah is one of the Old Testament prophets that James is speaking about here. And I'll never forget the moving story he told us about a friend of his called Emmanuel. Emmanuel had been a banker in the Congo. But when the Congo collapsed, he had to flee on foot with his wife and his three children. Many of his family members that he left behind were macheted to death. He ended up as a refugee with his family in Kampala. Living in one room with no water or power, and enough money for one meal every two days. 
My friend was in the library. Mark was in the library at the Bible college he's taught at in Kampala. Everyone else had left. And at that point, Emmanuel started to tell him his story. Silently, Emmanuel started to weep. He then explained that he could never be a Christian without the confidence that God would judge and bring to justice one day all those who had done such evil to his family. He knew he would not receive justice in this life, but he knew that the judge was standing at the door. Let me quote a little bit of Isaiah. The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. When everyone comes through the door of history, only one name will be exalted. The name of the risen Jesus, the judge of all. Emmanuel learned to be patient and to stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. James 5, verse 8. The second poster on his wall is a guy called Job. The judge is standing at the door, so keep persevering. If you don't know the story of Job, well, he was the opposite of a rags to riches story. The story starts with him rich in family, rich in money, and rich in possessions. And then one night he loses everything and finds himself in deep, dark poverty. No family, no money, no possessions. And when the people assess the state of his life, the riches to rag story, they assume that God is punishing him. They assume that in some way he sinned, which has led God to punishing him. Now, Job knows that that's not true. Job knows that their words are unjust and full of lies. Job knows that he's innocent. Yet his voice now seems to count for nothing. And he sits and he suffers. And the question we're to ask is, how does he keep on going? How does he carry the heavy load for a long time? How does he persevere? Well, Job himself gives us the answer. In Job chapter 19, verse 25, he says, I know that my Redeemer, my risen Lord, lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Job stands firm because of the Lord's coming is near, 5 verse 8. Job reminds himself that the judge is standing at the door of history, and one day everyone will pass through it. One day... He will be rewarded. One day, everybody will see that the words spoken to him were unjust and were full of lies. One day, he will be vindicated. And on that day, he and everybody else will know that he was innocent.
The third picture on Job's, sorry, on James's wall was of the great prophet Elijah. I picture him with a very big beard, don't you? The judge is standing at the door, so keep praying. Now, James has lots to say about prayer, important things about praying for healing. Now, today I won't be touching on that now, but in the next month, we've got a whole series on this autumn on prayer, sorry, in the next few weeks on prayer, which I'm sure will be excellent. And Will will be preaching on Elijah in the autumn, so I'm sure he will cover some of what's mentioned in James chapter 5. Now, if we read the story of Elijah, what we see is a man who is living amongst rulers who very much were devoted supporters of the phrase, no heaven to be gained or hell to be avoided. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel had no time whatsoever for God and lots and lots of time for themselves. So what did, what did Elijah do in that context of injustice? Well, he prayed. Just look at what are the words that he used to describe his prayers. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Why does James, fo- why does James focus on Elijah's prayer life? You could argue that there's far more exciting things to focus on in Elijah than his prayers. But prayer, Elijah's prayers showed that he believed James chapter 4 verse 6. Just turn back to that. That, that. that is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Campbell encouraged us to come to the prayer gathering on Tuesday. When we come to the prayer gathering on Tuesday, what we're saying to God is, we're at an end of ourselves. Prayer is declaring to God that we're at a complete end of ourselves. And we desperately, desperately need you. When we pray, we show that we are at an end of ourselves and that God is our only hope. Elijah knew that he would never be rewarded, never be vindicated, outside of God's action, which is why he prayed. His prayer life revealed the secret to persevering now. Elijah was made the same stuff as you and me, flesh and blood. He's no superman. James may have had him on his wall as a poster, but he really knows he's no different to himself or you or me. He looked to God for his vindication, for his reward, and received it. The judge is standing at the door. The judge, who, chapter 5, verse 11, is full of compassion and mercy. If you're not prepared to meet him, then why not come in repentance and faith today? Acknowledge your sin, your rebellion and ask him to forgive you. And when you do, he's full of compassion and mercy. What a comfort. 
What a joy. Keep looking forward. I'm going to finish with a prayer. Phil Keane, he knows quite a bit about suffering. He encouraged me to read this book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And it is absolutely superb. This is a journal version. It takes you to Psalms and it teaches you how to lament. It's superb. And the one I read this week ends with a prayer. And I thought, that would be great to read at the end of James. We see brokenness and loss all around us, Lord. It often seems as if evil has the upper hand. Sometimes we wonder why you don't do more. Yet here's what we know. You are good, kind, compassionate, and merciful. You are sovereign, controlling everything, and full of good plans. You are mighty. Nothing is out of your control. You reign. Everything obeys your commands. You are redemptive, using even dark moments for your gracious purposes. You are never surprised, never outdone, and never confused. For all these reasons, we can trust you. We can rest because we know your faithful character, O God, in Jesus' name. And our lad, the judge, is standing at the door. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the truth that you are judge. Father, it is a great comfort to know that the judge of all the earth stands at the door of history and that one day all injustice will be punished and dealt with. For that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen.